Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Mike Cox, and he wrote a book back in 2010, uh, and it's a two-volume set, but the first book is titled The Texas Rangers, Wearing the Cinco Peso. 1821 to 1900, published 2009-2010, and uh, he has written over 35 nonfiction books, many of them Texas-related. Mike Cox is a native Texan. He was born in Amarillo, and he start his, started his newspaper career at the San Angelo Standard Times back in 1967, and this is the book is his best-selling, uh, this two-part book. Again, the title is Texas Rangers Wearing the Cinco Peso, 1821-1900. Uh, he writes at lonestarbooks.blogspot.com. And some of the titles that he's written are Train Crash at Crush, Texas, America's Deadliest Publicity Stunt, published 2019. Legends and Lore of the Texas Capitol, published 2017. Texas Ranger Tales, Heart-Writing Stories from the Lone Star State, published 2016. Gunfight Insights in Texas Ranger History, published 2015. The second part to this book is Time of the Rangers, Texas Rangers from 1900 to the present, and Remembering Texas Lawmen, 2010, and uh, Texas Ranger Tales, stories that need telling. But he can talk more about this book, uh, the intro to the Texas Rangers, really starting in 1821. So, Mike Cox, are you there? I am. Awesome. Thank well, you thank for having me on your uh, podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing to the interview. For people who may not have heard your background, can you talk about, you know, all the books that you've kind of, I mean, a lot of books about Texas, but what led you to write this uh, first book in the two-volume set, sure. The Texas Rangers? <clears throat> well, first of all, I, I grew up in a, a family of writers, so uh, when I was a kid, I didn't know anything any better than to aspire to be a writer someday, and Happily, that's the way it worked out. Uh, my grandfather was an old-time Texas newspaper man, newspaper editor, uh, born in 1897, and uh, he started working for Texas newspapers during the Mexican Revolution. And uh, he knew a lot of the old-time, late 19th century Texas Rangers and early 20th century Texas Rangers. So uh, Granddad was quite the storyteller, uh, quite the raconteur. And so, uh, you know, I, I literally just grew up hearing his stories about uh, dealing with the Texas Rangers. Uh, he knew he knew Frank Hamer, who killed Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, uh, he knew Captain John R. Hughes, who was a, uh, a border ranger in the El Paso area in the 18. 90s and early teens. So I think that's what early on stimulated my interest in the Rangers. And then uh, uh, I also became a newspaper reporter uh, in the in the 1960s. And as a, a police reporter, well, of course, I had uh, uh, occasional dealings with the, the Texas Rangers. And then thirdly, uh, after a 20-year newspaper career, I went to work for the Texas Department of Public Safety, which is the, the state law enforcement agency for Texas, and the Texas Rangers are a, uh, a division of the Texas Department of Public Safety. So my job was, uh, I had the lofty title of Chief of Media Relations, and basically what that meant was that I'm the guy you saw on television or heard on radio anytime something weird or crazy happened in Texas, which is 
big as Texas is, as you can imagine, is pretty frequently. So I had a lot of dealings with the uh, the Texas Rangers uh, during that part of my career. So that's kind of the background of how I became interested in the Texas Rangers. Now, uh, overarching that is that I'm interested in in history in general, uh, and and certainly have tried carefully to avoid being typecast as only a Texas Ranger writer. I've also written true crime books, and I've written biographies, and uh, uh, I've got a, a a book out now that just came out called Seven Million Words, Writing and Selling Nonfiction. And uh, the title from that comes from the fact that I estimate that I've written a minimum of seven million words over my career. Of those are the same old words used over and over again, but still uh, a lot of words. Right. That's, that's, a, a, that's a thumb shell in my background. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a lot of writing. That's a substantial amount. Can you talk about the advent of the Texas Rangers? You start the book off in 1821. Can you talk about uh, how they started in Texas and what Texas was like at the time of the beginning of Texas Rangers? Sure. Well, uh, there wasn't uh, there wasn't much Texas at that time. I mean, uh, all the land was there, but uh, there were not many people in Texas. Uh, in 1821, uh, Texas had just become a part of the new Republic of Mexico, which had uh, had a long revolution uh, to try to free itself from the Spanish Empire, which it finally did. So uh, Stephen F. Austin, who is known as the, the, the father of Texas, uh, uh, he he got an arrangement uh, with the uh, Mexican government to uh, bring 300 colonists into Texas, which he did uh, in 1821. They settled between the Brazos rivers and the and the Colorado River. Uh, you know, primarily interested in in growing cotton. Uh, but of course, the Native Americans uh, were not hugely enthusiastic about. Uh, 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 an Anglo presence in Texas and uh, relationships between the Anglos and Indians deteriorated pretty pretty quickly. And so uh, there were several uh, clashes, cultural clashes that ended up killing people on, on both sides. Uh, so Austin uh, proposed at some point to in the, in the summer actually of 18. 23, after his colonies were fairly far along, he uh, scratched out on a piece of paper what's considered to be sort of the Magna Carta of the Texas Rangers. And basically, he said that uh, he had in mind uh, employing 10 men for the, quote, common defense of Texas uh, to uh, act as rangers to, to protect the, uh, the frontier of the, of the colony. So that was really that was really their beginning uh, in one way. In another way, the uh, the concept of rangering is something that uh, actually evolved in the, in England and moved over the pond to the to the colonies, and then moved down the uh, southern uh, or down the down the eastern seaboard and across the south uh, in, into Texas. And I like to tell people that while uh, while Texas uh, and Texans did not invent the concept of uh, a, a, a free-ranging sort of paramilitary group to uh, uh, provide self-defense, they darn sure improved on it. And, uh, of course, the Rangers are now uh, 
planning for their uh, uh, 200th uh, anniversary uh, in in 2023. So that that was the beginning of the Rangers. Uh, uh, their their primary concern at that time was not law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement in Texas was handled uh, uh, at that time in a different way, uh, mostly by well, uh, in time by sheriffs. Uh, uh, and the uh, the Texas Rangers did not get uh, legislative authority to uh, to become law enforcement officers until after Texas had become a state of the union. Forty-five, but they still didn't get the law enforcement authority until eighteen seventy-four. Right, and at that time, Austin was what a young twenty-seven-year-old Missourian, and there were other things going on there. There were these Indians there, the Karankawas, that were cannibalistic, and. All kinds of, I mean, it started off really the foundation where the Rangers were was really at the beginning Indian Wars and also working with the Spanish slash, you know, the new Mexican authorities, right? I didn't know that Austin spent 14 months in Mexico City trying to figure out how to, you know, develop the land. That was an interesting thing I learned in in your book. Also, they were supposed to practice Roman Catholicism. So there was already tensions. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, the, really, the, the the first half century of their existence, uh, from 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 Austin's time up up through the uh, early 1870s, uh, the Rangers were primarily about Indian Indian fighting. Of course, now today there's a lot of debate over the uh, morality of that. Uh, my my answer is uh, that you cannot judge. Uh, 19th century behavior by 21st century morality. I mean, it just is, you know, it's your classic uh, apples and oranges uh, sort of difference. Uh, you just can't do it. And, you know, right or wrong by today's standards, uh, uh, in the 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, and 1870s, they believed they were doing the right thing. Uh, and, and in and one thing they were absolutely doing, which was, you know, protecting their own. I mean, they were protecting their families and and other people. I mean, if you set aside the, you know, the the overall cultural consideration of, well, you know, was it right for Anglo's to uh, uh, encroach on the Native American land? Uh, it's it it was right for either side, uh, the Native Americans uh, or the Texans and the Rangers, to protect themselves and their families. So. You know, that's a real controversial issue, and uh, we could talk about it the rest of the day. But uh, uh, I, I try to see it in simpler terms that, you know, they, they were doing what they thought was right at the time. And in the course of doing that, they established uh, uh, really a person, first a, a, a local reputation and then a national reputation. And then, uh, you know, now they, of course, enjoy a, a worldwide reputation almost almost anybody in any country uh has probably heard of the texas rangers and yeah, i'm not talking you, about the baseball team <laughs> right no like the real texas rangers, yeah, the real I texas mean, rangers. they had to you know constantly fight they were constantly thieves and uh indy what they had called indians back then and they're i mean there's murders it was brutal so it was kind of a killer be killed situation would you agree with that no, absolutely. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, sir. It was, it was Darwinism at work. I mean, survival of the fittest. I mean, there's just no, 
There's no question about that. Uh, it, it was a, you know, there was a lot of brutality on, on both sides. I mean, you know, the, uh, uh, one of the things that I talk about in the, the wearing the Cinco Peso, uh, interesting story. Uh, there was a, uh, a ranger who's, who, at least the legend is, uh, his parents were, were killed by Indians. Possibly true, or, or another, another version is that somebody in his family was killed by Indians. But anyway, the the Rangers had a uh, a fight with uh, with Indians uh, in the uh, let's say around 1874, 1875. I don't have a book in front of me, but uh, they uh, they captured a, a young uh, warrior, and uh, this guy who may have lost family to the to the uh, Comanches uh, wanted to just summarily kill him, but the uh, lieutenant in charge of this particular uh, group of rangers uh, said, "No, let's we don't kill our prisoners. Uh, let's take him to let's take him to Austin and see what, what they want to do." So they they uh, uh, put him on a pack mule and and uh, took him into the capital city of Austin and actually took him to the the governor, who at that time was the pretty much in charge of the Rangers uh, through his adjutant general, uh, presented him to the governor. The governor said he didn't ask for any Indians, and so uh, uh, they didn't know what else to do with him, and so they uh, they uh, actually booked him into the Travis County Jail in Austin. Uh, well, this same Ranger that uh, wanted to kill the, uh, the Indian initially uh, uh, had another idea, which was to put the Indian on on display and so he went to a, a print shop in austin and uh, had uh you know flyers produced uh, uh come see the indian and of course he cut a deal with a local opera house and had flyers produced that uh, said come see the wild indian for i don't know 25 cents a, uh, a person and started distributing these these flyers uh, with the intention of checking the uh warrior out of the jail and taking him to the opera house and putting him on stage so that uh, Austinites and anybody else in the area could see what a real wild uh, Indian looked like. Well, to the state's credit, uh, as soon as the adjutant general, who at that time was the uh, person in charge of the Texas Rangers, as soon as he heard of what was going on, he, he quashed it, uh, prevented it from happening. Uh, but that shows how you know, how brutal and uh, inconsiderate really both sides were of the other because, you know, they were fighting for uh, for their way of life. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't, you, you really, from our standpoint, or even then, you, you can't really logically blame either side uh, for that. I mean, you know, the, the Indians were fighting for their land and for their safety, and uh, the uh, Texans were fighting to acquire the Indian land and, and for their safety. Right. And can you talk about the Rangers' involvement in uh, the Texas Republic and the move towards uh, U.S. statehood? Sure. Uh, the Rangers uh, steadily over the years became uh, uh, more and more institutionalized. It was, it was a slow a slow process. Uh, these early Rangers were nothing like the, the Rangers of today. But uh, during the Republic of Texas times, the uh, the uh, leadership of the republic uh, realized the the value of having a a a, a paramilitary uh, group uh, 
that had mobility and uh, uh, you know the a strong urge to fight and and uh, you know the the skills to to do it successfully. And so the uh, the Rangers uh, were were active during the Republic of Texas time. Uh, you know the probably the most one of the most famous 19th uh, century Texas Rangers was Jack Hayes, who uh, was a young surveyor who came to Texas from Tennessee and, and uh, uh, learned the country around San Antonio and, and Austin by surveying the, the land. And of course, uh, Native Americans did not like to see men with tripods and transits because they knew that, that, that those were instruments for stealing land. Uh, and so he had several scrapes with uh, Native Americans in the process of being a surveyor, and then uh, say so he became a Texas Ranger. And, and he was he was a, a slight man, uh, but uh, uh, apparently quite the man. Uh, really became a or seems to have been a natural leader, and probably. Uh, he, he probably played a more important role in establishing the uh, uh, the, the myths and mythology and, uh, and legend of the Texas Rangers than any other person. He was uh, he, he was known as a fearless fighter. Uh, the Indians uh, uh, reflected that they they uh, they called him that the Devil Jack uh, because he was such a, a strong fighter. And of course, it was during the Republic of Texas times that the uh, rangers acquired uh, the first uh, revolving uh, pistols. Uh, people think that they were six shooters, but they were actually not at first. They were, they, they shot five rounds. They were, they were 38 caliber. But uh, the Indians at that time were armed only with lances and, and bows and arrows. So if a, uh, if a ranger had uh, Two pistols uh, loaded with five rounds each. That meant that he could uh, get off uh, ten rounds before he had to reload. And uh, essentially, uh, in that time, it was the equivalent of having a, uh, an atomic bomb. I mean, you know, it, it gave the uh, the Rangers a a, a tremendous uh, tactical advantage over the Native Americans. And it was Hayes who was uh, smart enough to realize that. Uh, 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 technology uh, should be taken advantage of, and uh, you know he got the he got his men armed, and uh, the Indians really learned the hard way, uh, uh, you know how effective these weapons were. Then it was another Texas Ranger, Samuel Walker, who during the Mexican War, which uh, which came right after uh, uh, Texas, the Republic of Texas. Uh, uh, ended after about nine years, and and uh, Texas became a part of the State of the Union. Uh, Walker was uh, active uh, fighting as a ranger in the Mexican War. That the the U.S. Army uh, uh, allowed uh, men who had been Texas Rangers to enlist. Uh, you know, tacitly they were under military control. Uh, I, you know, their their pay came from the federal government, but uh, to their mind, uh, they continued being freelance Texas Rangers, and uh, you know they were, they were they treated the Mexican people pretty brutally. Uh, still, still sore over the Alamo and and uh, the uh, the deaths that 
were connected to the Texas Revolution. So Walker was one of these rangers. He already he had already established a, a reputation under under Jack Hayes. Well, uh, Walker uh, during during a, uh, uh, a a slowdown in the hostilities went to Maryland uh, and met with uh, Samuel Colt, uh, the inventor of the revolving five shot pistol, and some, suggested some improvements based on his uh, combat experience of having used the weapon. Uh, one suggestion he had, uh, which of course produced the gun that won the West, was for uh, Colt to add a, an additional chamber to the to the cylinders of his weapons, which would make the uh, revolvers six shooters. And then the second suggestion was to uh, uh, increase the size of the uh, the caliber of the bullet and uh, uh, design the uh, chambers in such a way that. Uh, the cylinder in such a way that it could take a little bit higher pressure so that uh, the the round could have a little bit more uh, muzzle velocity so that's what happened and that's what gave the uh, gave the old west the the six shooter that was it right four pounds too it was a heavy gun oh oh yeah it was like carrying a little small cannon but it was uh uh, again uh, uh from the standards of the day uh devastatingly powerful uh, with that muzzle velocity, it had a much more effective uh, uh, ability to kill people and uh, better range and, and uh, uh, one less, one extra round. That they didn't have to stop and load. So it was uh, really, uh, the Rangers were, were integral not only in the development of Texas, but uh, if you look at the role that they had in the, uh, the development of the six-shot revolver, uh, you know that had a profound effect, uh, really over the over the rest of uh, U.S. history. I mean, we're we're still there. Of course, most people today uh, use uh, semi-automatic handguns, but you know we're still dealing with the issues related to uh, powerful handguns. Right. So it goes all the way back to the Rangers, and they were involved in so many of the not only the frontier wars but the battle. Uh, what in 19 was it 35 against Santa Ana and then all the way up to the war with Mexico after they was state can you talk about those earlier battles like 1835 yeah, they, yeah uh, the uh, the when the Alamo was besieged in and actually early 19 or early 1836 uh, you know William Barrett Travis who was the young uh, uh, commander of the Alamo garrison uh, sent out letters uh, pleading for uh, assistance. You know, they were surrounded by uh, uh, overwhelmingly uh, uh, larger force of Mexican soldiers under General Santa Ana. Uh, there was no great rush to the Alamo, uh, but uh, 32 men who, who were Texas Rangers uh, from Gonzales, which is a town about 65 miles from San Antonio, uh, did indeed uh, go to the Alamo, and to a man they died uh, in the Alamo. So that was really uh, the uh, the first uh, really, actually probably the uh, the the largest single loss uh, of a a group of men who were known as Texas Rangers. Now I guess this is a good time to say that. Uh, there's been a, a lot of parsing over exactly what the definition of a Texas Ranger is. 
that's been a very fluid sort of thing over the years. Uh, there are some historians who would argue that those 32 men who went to the Alamo were not really uh, 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 traditional Texas Rangers, that, that, you know, that they were more volunteers than anything else. But it gets even murkier because most of the Rangers at that time were were volunteered, uh, were volunteer. They didn't really start uh, uh, being paid until uh, the Republic of Texas era, uh, which came came after the defeat of Santa Ana at the Battle of San Jacinto in, on April 21st of 1836. Uh, so that that was the the the, the largest use of, uh, of what we would call Rangers uh, during the during the Mexican Revolution. And so, so then, um, what, can you talk about like the McCullough's, San Jacinto, and kind of how that developed, like uh, how Texas claimed portions of significant amount of Mexican territory? Sure. Uh, uh, once, uh, once the Texas Army under General Sam Houston uh, prevailed at the uh, the Battle of the Alamo, and there were there were a few men, uh, you know, a handful of men among Houston's men who either had been rangers or who would become rangers, but uh, most of the rangers were, you know, had been involved in the Alamo earlier. But once Texas uh, uh, won its uh, shaky independence from Mexico, uh, it did claim uh, uh, a lot more territory than than is in the state uh, today. In fact, uh, the land that the uh, Republic claimed included uh, portions of what are now uh, uh, Oklahoma, uh, New Mexico, uh, Colorado, and all the way up into uh, Wyoming. And uh, I always said that's the worst thing that ever happened to Texas is we lost that ski country when the uh, uh, right when the uh, uh, when Texas became a state, uh, the size of it was whittled down uh, considerably. Of course, that was more land than Texas at that time could even remotely think about controlling. I mean, they had, you know, they they may have claimed up in the Wyoming, and there are maps that uh, that show, you know, the Republic of Texas extending that far north. But uh, you know, they could Texas uh, tried unsuccessfully to gain control over Santa Fe, New Mexico, to capitalize on the. Uh, uh, the rich trade route known as the Santa Fe Trail that connected uh, uh, Missouri to uh, to Santa Fe. Uh, an expedition was sent from Texas, uh, and again, these were these were just volunteer, you know, freebooters. They weren't nobody ever called them Texas Rangers, but uh, they uh, they went to try to claim Santa Fe and hopefully establish this trade. And uh, at that time. Uh, uh, the uh, Mexican army still had still held control over New Mexico, and they were relatively quickly captured by Mexican soldiers and sent to prison in near Mexico City. So it was pretty much of a flop. You know, Texas, the Republic of Texas, you know, it, it certainly gets glamorized, and, and you know, it, it had its glamorous moments. And you know, a lot of Texans uh, say, "Oh, you know, too bad we didn't stay a republic." But you know, the real truth is that. The republic never had uh, sufficient funds to to, to govern a, a nation or to benefit themselves. Uh, 
they were always under the shadow of, of Mexico. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Mexico probably could have reinvaded Texas. In fact, did make a couple of attempts to retake Texas. So it was a good thing when, when, uh, when Texas did finally become a state of the union. They kind of had the resources to engage in self, you know, sustainable political system. They, but they're also kind of the, the Mexicans were working with the Indians to destabilize the Republic too. Can you talk about that? Yes, that's true. The, uh, uh, the, the Mexicans were certainly a, uh, a, a worthy, uh, uh, worthy adversary. No, no question about that. And they were, you know, they were smart. They had a, uh, they had a good army, uh, uh, and and so what they they did try to uh, get some of the Indians to uh, side with them. That's another really great myth. Uh, uh, I think a lot of people think that the Native Americans were were uh, always opposed to the Anglo's, and that all Native Americans got along just perfectly with each other. Uh, both of which are not true. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the Native Americans, uh, certain tribes have been fighting each other for generations. By the time right, hundreds of years, yeah, hundreds of years. Yes, yes. And so, uh, uh, but the Mexicans, uh, you know, they were, of course, aware of that, and, and they did try to uh, uh, aggravate uh, Texas by, uh, uh, you know, arming arming Indians and, and turning the Indians against Texas. Uh, uh, and it, it made for a a skirmish in which uh, uh, a fair number, modest number, were, were killed, but uh, you know it never mattered anything much more than than that. It's just a just an idea. And the te- I mean the early the original Rangers kind of took on some traits of the Native Americans. Is that true? I thought they wore skins and kind of fought like them on the horses. Is that correct? Well, actually, the the. Uh, the early Texas Rangers were very adaptive, uh, uh, and they really borrowed from uh, uh, two cultures. Really, that yes, you're you're right. They they borrowed from the uh, Native American culture uh, in 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 their uh, in their tactics. Uh, you know, fighting on horseback, and and uh, they they definitely learned from uh, fighting Native Americans. And then, uh, secondly, but actually, personally, in terms of how it evolved, uh, the uh, Rangers were were very much influenced by uh, uh, both uh, Spanish law enforcement uh, when when Texas was a province of, of New Spain, and also uh, uh, Mexican American or, or not uh, the Republic of Republic of Mexico uh, law enforcement. Uh, one of the uh, one of the doctrines of uh, both Spain and Mexico uh, was uh, uh, the matter of uh, a law enforcement body being sort of a one-stop criminal justice system. In other words, if if Mexican uh, uh, and especially if Spanish uh, uh, frontier uh, 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 riders encountered a a group of cattle thieves, uh, they uh, executed them on the spot. I mean, you know, there was no, uh, they, they basically had, uh, uh, you know, full authority to uh, uh, handle the whole range of criminal justice from law enforcement to prosecution to 
carrying out uh, the the uh, the letter of the law, uh, and so that that added to the early ranger reputation of uh, you know being being pretty brutal of of uh, uh, sometimes not taking prisoners uh, and just uh, you know they encountered uh, cattle thieves or or uh, lawbreakers uh, you know this is early on. Uh, just uh, settling it right there, right? Um, so yeah, wasn't it the alcalde they like took from the Spanish system of kind of that kind of uh, sheriff almost? Yes, uh, the uh, uh, Spain issued what it, what was called uh, uh, the La Acorda, uh, the Accord, uh, Acordata, uh, and uh, that basically uh, empowered their uh, rural riders their rural constabulary to uh uh you know find and prosecute uh, without having to uh, burden their uh, their their court system uh and uh, uh you know that practice of uh you know uh you know shoot first and ask questions later really uh continued uh, to some extent into the early 20th century, uh, and we can get to that in a minute, but uh, uh, right. you know, it took but a long, long time before that got outgrown. But I mean, you can kind of see that beginning because you're, even the title of your book, The Cinco Peso, is kind of their mark on a Spanish silver eight-piece, right? So they put the five marks on there, and that's still kind of their moniker to this day, correct? Yes. Uh, uh, I got that title from uh, uh, actually uh, modern ranger slang, or at least ranger slang when I was there, which was up until uh, uh, the year 2000, uh, uh, individual modern rangers would, uh, in the course of their conversation, they might ask one of their colleagues, well, how long have you been wearing the Cinco Peso? Which, is, which translates into, how long have you been a ranger? So wearing the Cinco Peso you know, became a, a synonymous term, to, uh, term for being a Texas ranger, but these Early rangers didn't have badges at all, uh, but uh, the first ranger badges were, as you say, a, a Mexican uh, single peso piece, uh, five peso piece, uh, made out of silver. And uh, silver is pretty malleable, so they uh, uh, literally would, uh, you know, cut out uh, enough of the of the of the coin you know to have a, a circle around the star and that became the uh the ranger uh badge from then on really uh, i mean uh, in modern times they or, or what used to be modern times they they dropped the cinco peso for a while but uh in the 19 early 1960s uh, they returned to that tradition of making their bags the badges out of a of silver of a silver piece interesting that's cool and how did the rangers progress um from the post-mexican american war to the turn of the century right there in, two, in 1900 well the the really critical thing i mean the, the rangers continued uh uh working uh after, after texas became a state the uh, the rangers worked uh, uh along with the uh, u.s army uh, to try to defend the, the Texas frontier. Uh, the, the two never got along all that famously, but they did, uh, they did work together. Uh, 
and that continued uh, through the uh, uh, the 1840s and through the uh, 1850s. Then, when the Civil War came, of course, the uh, the uh, uh, the U.S. Army uh, vacated the the state, uh, and most able-bodied Texans, uh, you know, ended up in the Confederate military service. Uh, but the the function of the Rangers uh, continued in Texas because uh, just because the uh, in fact uh, aggravated by the fact that the U.S. military had left, the Indians became uh, uh, even uh, more uh, difficult, and uh, they took advantage of the situation and tried to regain some of their territory along the frontier. But the uh, there were uh, uh, rangers employed by the Confederate state of Texas uh, who tried to to deal with them. So, but still, you know, from Stephen F. Austin up to this point of the Civil War, we, we still that's all they did was was uh, uh, protect the state against. Uh, uh, hostile Native Americans. Uh, finally, after the Civil War, uh, in the early 1870s, uh, the U.S. military had pretty much gotten the uh, Indian situation in Texas under control. The, the last of the really serious Indian fighting in Texas was was over with by uh, militarily by about 1876. Well, in 1874. The Texas uh, legislature uh, decided to basically reinvent the Texas Rangers and for the first time in their history uh, gave them uh, law enforcement authority. And they had statewide authority, which was uh, unlike any, uh, you know, uh, police chief or constable or, or sheriff only had uh only had law enforcement authority in their particular jurisdiction, but these rangers had uh, statewide authority. And so that, that really was a huge development for Texas. Uh, and that happened in 1874 uh, with the creation of what was called the Frontier Battalion. Uh, they still were not, not legislatively referred to as the Texas Rangers, even though uh, generically uh, they were called rangers. Uh, but after that point, uh, the focus became uh, not not uh, Native Americans, but uh, uh, cattle thieves and uh, other outlaws. Uh, you know, stagecoach robbers, eventually train robbers. That preoccupied the Rangers from from the mid 1870s uh, up through the uh, uh, late 1890s. Right. So that was it. I mean, there's so much more information. It's a very thorough uh, read. So much information about the Texas Rangers. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed before we wrap up this interview? We're at about 40 minutes. Sure. Uh, no, I mean, the the, uh, uh, the Rangers have been cussed and discussed over the years. Uh, uh, I like to steal a line from uh, Clint Eastwood and say that uh, the story of the Rangers is about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, but they, if you if you weigh everything they did, they they really did more have done more good for Texas than bad. Uh, yes, indeed, they certainly overstepped uh, uh, their authority at, at times. But uh, you know now they're considered one of the best law enforcement uh, agencies uh, anywhere, and they have a tremendous reputation right. and, uh, uh, they they earned it yeah they did it was super dangerous i mean very that frontier life was extremely perilous 
for a wide variety of things. Um, where's the best pe place to for people to buy the book? Well, uh, good old Amazon. Uh, <laughs> they've got most of the market cornered, but of course you can also get it from uh, 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 the uh, large box bookstores. It's still available that way. Uh, but, and do, uh, do you have social media, or is there a way for people to yes, reach? Yes, uh, yeah. You you gave an old blog address for me. My my website is real easy. It's uh, all one word, Mike. MikeCoxAuthor.com, MikeCoxAuthor.com, and uh, uh, I, all my books are listed on that, and, and I also uh, post uh, things, you know, extra material that I've written and, uh, and that sort of thing, so I certainly would encourage any of your, any of your listeners to, if they want to know anything more about me or, or what I've done or, or to get in touch with me even, just go to the website. Uh, MikeCoxAuthor.com. Right, it's all one word. M-I-K-E-C-O-X-A-U-T-H-O-R.com, right? Yeah, author.com. Gotcha. And the title of this book, again, it's a two-part book. The first part is The Texas Rangers. Ranger. The Texas Rangers. And the other one, as you said, is Time of the Rangers, which takes the Ranger story up to about uh, 2008. Right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the interview. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, sir. All right. Take care.